Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast in all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau, podcast host, award-winning agency owner, and full-time family guy. Today on the show, we have Natasha Jung, founder and CEO of Colty Collective, a new media community sharing stories for, by, and about North American Asians. Natasha is a multidisciplinary creative and community leader with a passion for diverse storytelling, community, and people. She's worked with global brands, educational institutions, media, and startups for nearly 15 years. Natasha, welcome. Thank you, Ted, so much for having me. I got to say, I'm having a little bit of a fangirl moment here right now, just because I know Marketing News Canada has just interviewed so many greats and um, like certainly marketers, professional marketers that I follow and admire. So um, happy to you know be having this conversation with you, Ted. Yeah, absolutely. And you as well, actually, if, if I can say, actually. So Ballistic Media Arts, your agency that you run, and, you know, the agencies that are involved in producing this podcast and the wonderful work you do together. Like, I've just been following a number of the agencies that have been involved or that are involved for a number of years now. And just, it's so great to see you all collaborating, coming together, and really just sharing um, some different perspectives and voices across uh, across the industry. So thank you for all that you do. Yeah, absolutely, Natasha. And, you know, I, I love that you got this Cold Tea Collective going I think it's a much needed uh, profile for a lot of Asian Americans and Canadians all over North America. So really great work there. And maybe let's uh, start off there. Maybe just tell us a little bit about Cold Tea Collective and what you guys do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so, I mean, you, you said a little bit about us in, in our little intro there. Um, so actually in the last year, we kind of, you know, we took a step back and, and rebranded a little bit in the sense of, you know, taking a look at who our audience is. And so certainly when we first started out, you know, eight years ago, you know, myself being of the millennial demographic, uh, we started, you know, writing stories for buying about Asian millennials in North America. And then at the time, there were not that many uh, Asian American, Asian Canadian media outlets. And so uh, one of the questions that I'd always get from people, you know, friends and, and family and, and folks in the industry would say, don't you think millennial is a little bit, um, I guess, ex- exclusionary? Is that limiting uh, at all? And so what's been interesting to see in the last uh I would actually say about three years, actually, um, is the expansion of our audience to be about 60% of our audience is now uh, Gen Z uh, as well. So the 18 to 24 age range. And so kind of how we've updated since and our positioning, um, but also our editorial strategy is really to tell stories for and by the next generation of the Asian diaspora. So really just taking a look at the stories that matter to us. and so, you know, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the the challenges, of course, that historically, systemically, uh, the Asian Canadians, a- Asian Americans have faced. Um, however, of course, uh, in the last few years, we have certainly come across some instances uh, where we have been forced to, I suppose, 
um, reckon with or actually understand that being Asian American, being Asian Canadian means something to someone else, even if if it doesn't necessarily impact us on our day to day lives. And so, um, you know, Asian, you know, Asian American, Asian Canadian stories, um, I, I say them. I, I differentiate the two because I think there is a difference and we can certainly talk about that later. But Cold Tea Collective, we essentially started out, you know, from a personal place of just wanting to tell stories that matter to the people in my life uh, that were not being covered by mainstream media. And so what we try to do is we tell stories that, you know, other outlets are not covering. We're not quite a news site. We're a storytelling site. And beyond just being a media outlet, we are also a creative partner uh, for brands to connect directly to AAPI and Asian Canadian audiences. And <clears throat> with that, our strength certainly is in storytelling, personal storytelling, branded content, custom content. So um, our bread and butter would be articles. Sometimes we'll do a podcast. Uh, sometimes we'll do some video projects as well. Uh, but ultimately, what we try to do is if we are working with brands, we do try to work with them to develop some really authentic brand integration and, and storytelling that really speaks directly to those audiences. That's fantastic. And, it, you know, I think a lot of us have these kind of aspirations to create a platform and represent, uh, you know, our culture yet, you know, it takes time to build something like this and, and you can't just do it overnight. So maybe go back a little bit and tell us about your mm -hmm. origin story, how it led you, your career led you to this moment. What did you do before this and, and how mm -hmm. you yeah, um, Ted. Look, when you when you and I had connected a couple of months ago, um, just got a quick like intro call. Um, we were kind of sharing a little bit about our, our backgrounds, and so um, certainly, you know, Cold Tea Collective uh, has been around for eight years, but it's always kind of been off the side of my desk, uh, to be honest with you, up until about almost a year ago now, when I quit my job. Uh, my background is in marketing, communications, PR, um, and you know, kind of, you know, fast forward, uh, pardon me, rewind to eight years ago, I was working in, um, I just, you know, come off this, I guess, five or six year stint, maybe not, maybe not considered a stint now, um, uh, relative to today's job market, but I'd been working in very, very corporate marketing for a really long time. Um, so I worked at, I worked at Deloitte. Um, I, you know, worked uh i also worked at a tech company i worked at a startup i worked at agencies i worked in universities as a teacher um i worked at high school as a career life education like counselor and, and teacher connecting students to work experience there was just a whole bunch of things uh that i'd done um in my career but ultimately uh, my background's mostly been in marketing and communications and you know anyone that's listening to this it's like, like it's really hard to I guess sometimes explain to people and sometimes I feel a little bit anxious and or a little bit nervous to share that with folks because I think that, you know, to, to share my origin story is also to share how I think it took a long time for me to be able to recognize like, oh, actually, this is what I want. And, you know, to be able to work in media, to tell our own stories, to have that editorial leadership, uh, storytelling, uh, decision making, um, it doesn't just come out of nowhere, right? And I think it comes from a number of years of working in the marketing space, once again, very corporate marketing, um, to be able to actually realize that that wasn't really what I wanted. Um, and so, you know, eight years ago, I was working at a company where I was just completely miserable, Ted. Um, and it's, it's more often 
then then we think that people find themselves in that situation. But I was actually depressed. Um, I would go into work, uh, you know, first person in, last person out, but not really feeling like productive. I'd find myself sometimes crying in the washroom. I didn't know why. I felt like I was not as smart as I used to be. I couldn't apply myself in, the, even though I knew that the work that I was doing, like it wasn't that hard or it shouldn't have been that hard. Um, but it was just really hard for me for some reason. And at that time, I <clears throat> was thinking that maybe I'm just doing work that's not in line with my values. And so uh, what ended up happening is I actually uh, got fired from that job because I wasn't able to perform. I wasn't able to perform because I was depressed and I was depressed because I just was in a space where I just, yeah, like my, my work didn't align with my values or my interests. And so, um, I, I share that more openly now because I've gone through that journey of understanding where that comes from. Um, and even in the last year, I learned even more about that specific time in my life. And so in the last year, I learned that I have ADHD. And so if you know anything about ADHD is that it's not just hyperactivity, which is kind of, you know, the stereotypical depiction of, you know, little boys bouncing off walls and such, but um, a big um part of ADHD, of having ADHD is that the work that you do or you spend your time on has to be something you're really passionate about or that you're interested in. Um, and anything to, to do that's kind of outside of it, it's really difficult to do. And it sounds so silly because it's like, well, you know, as an adult, as a working professional, you should be able to, to do the things like there's always going to be stuff that's part of your job that you don't really enjoy doing, but you just do it anyway. Right. Um, but it was so bad for me in that particular job that I just, I, I, I was so depressed. Um, and I saw you know, uh, mental health support for that, went to therapy for it too. And now that I know that I have ADHD, it just, it explains so much that along with just the multiple different career paths that I've taken uh, to kind of get me to where uh, we are now with cold tea collective. Um, but at that time, so after I'd lost that, you know, I'd gotten fired from my job, I decided that, okay, I'm just going to take a pause. Like I've worked in super corporate marketing for a really long time. Maybe it's just not what I want to do. And so, um, before just kind of jumping into another marketing role, I decided to give myself a chance to pursue my teenage dream, uh, which was uh, to work in media as a TV producer and host. Um, rewind even further, uh, I used to produce a singing competition for high school students in Richmond. It would be turning 20 years old next year if it was still running. Um, it ran for about 16, 17 years. It was called Rich City Idol. Um, and with any idol competition, um, you can kind of expect what it was. Um, however, then right after high school, I interned at MTV Canada, uh, City TV, a bunch of different local, you know, community, like TV um, projects and video projects. So I decided to, as I was noting, instead of going back to just a regular corporate marketing job, maybe, you know, that was an area that I, I felt like maybe I needed to explore further, explore my creativity. Um, and so I ended up interning for Novus TV, which is a local community TV channel um, based in the greater Vancouver area. And from there, really had the chance to kind of sharpen my storytelling skills and get out in the community again and just get in touch with people whose stories that may not be covered in, in other mainstream media as well. And that's the really the real beauty of community TV or community programming. And so one of the events uh, that I got to cover was the Vancouver Asian Film Festival's Mighty Asian Movie Making Marathon that just happened. The 18th one happened um, this past weekend and which I also attended. And so that particular event, um, I had a few friends that were um, you know, uh, showcasing their films there. I got to interview some of the filmmakers. And up until that point, I had never really thought about what it meant to be Chinese Canadian, Asian Canadian, um, or really the need for representation of people who looked like me or the people that were in my life. But what was so different about this event is that 
just, I guess for the first time, I was seeing these stories on screen that really just kind of hit me in a really deeply and visceral way. And I just thought, I just started bawling my eyes out or I felt joy. I just felt this whole range of emotions just from sitting in this theater and watching these short films from these just like local people, um, local filmmakers. And uh, that really just kind of gave me the courage to share my story about how I experienced depression and how I wanted to do something more meaningful to me that was more in line with my values. And so um, that was kind of the impetus of me kind of sharing my story. It was a really long Facebook post um, about kind of how I went through this journey and some folks jumped on and said, Hey, like, thank you so much for sharing your story. I had something similar happen to me, or I had no idea that we were struggling with this. Um, thank you so much for sharing. It makes me, you know, wonder how I could have been of help to other people that were going through something similar. And so, um, from there, uh, a couple other folks, you know, were brave enough to, I guess, also want to share their stories. So we started publishing content on Medium at first. And then after a while, uh, we developed, I guess, this collective of people just wanting to share their personal stories. And we thought, okay, maybe this is actually more than just people sharing like blog posts and writing like in their diaries on, on Medium, for example. And so we transitioned to an actual website uh, in 2018 and really just kind of over the years built an incredible team of, you know, content uh, writers, um, you know, journalists um, from all different walks of life. Uh, and it's we've largely been volunteer run uh, for the entire time that we've been around. However, uh, in the last year, we've been able to more consistently pay um, our freelancers uh, and contractors, not, and not just on a project basis. Um, so that's something that I've been really proud of uh, being able to do and really just giving people hopefully the opportunity to, you know, tell stories that matter to them and do it in a way that is, you know, feasible, uh, for, you know, covering some of their own personal costs or, and hopefully having a career in storytelling or journalism. But ultimately, you know, when people try to, you know, want to work with us, um, sharing their story, they really just have a story that they're passionate about. And I think it's just really wonderful to have been a part of, I guess, that journey for folks who are, you know, going through similar to what I did and going through that journey of, re I guess, recognizing, where their challenges were, um, what help they needed and how they overcame them or how they're trying to overcome them and, and they're still in the process. So that kind of brings us to where we are today. And that ultimately is where, I guess, like that's the heart of the story. Um, that's the heart of the storytelling that we do and that it's very human centric. And let's just say, for example, even if we were to cover some sort of event, current event, or um, even do like an interview with a, like a filmmaker or an actor, um, it's still we still always try to dig deeper beyond the surface level. Like, how did it feel to be on set? Um, how did it feel? What does this story mean to you? And what do you think it'll mean to actually, um, this is where we try to go deeper. What do you think it'll mean to the next generation of, you know, Asian Canadian women um, who might be struggling with something that your character is struggling with? And so um, we've always really tried to remove the layers, peel back the layers of that onion, so to speak, to um, just get down to the core of what matters to Asian Americans, Asian Canadians. Um, and that's a very long-winded response to a very simple question. Uh, <clears throat> however, I, if I can just, uh, I'll pepper in a couple different things here. I've also worked in like brand marketing and communications for Fresh Prep, another wonderful uh, local um, uh, local uh, Vancouver-based uh, startup, or I guess they're technically not a startup anymore, but um you know, with that, uh, just being able to kind of get into a space where recognizing that storytelling and the 
impactful storytelling is just so important for any brand uh, to be able to do. And I'm so excited to be able to, you know, hopefully unpack a little bit of that with you in our conversation today, Ted. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I mean, we all have a, a different journey and I, I actually funny though, I uh, had a similar experience in terms of, uh, you know, having a bit of a crisis when I first, you know, when I was going to Simon Fraser university and do my first co-op job, I, I hated that job. And oh as gosh. a result, uh, you know, I had a bit of a crisis and it actually led me to a passion that ended up becoming, you know, digital video. And then I started ballistic yeah. arts and that's kind of how it grew from there. And I think a lot of us really need to do something that matters in our lives. And I really commend mm -hmm. you for, for doing that. Now I wanted to really go into the storytelling aspect, given that you are a storytelling platform and you know, there are millions and millions of North American Asians out there, each mm -hmm. with their own unique story. How do you curate that? What, what is your filter other than, Oh, mm. um, are you of Asian ethnicity, of a particular <laughs> uh, age group? What, mm -hmm. what do you look for when, when it comes to the story? Yeah. I mean, there's, there, I think there's two sides to that, to that question or two, two answers that go hand in hand there, Ted. Um, on the basis of pure storytelling, we take a look at, whether it be a pitch uh, it, internally from our team of contributors or staff writers, or whether it be a pitch from external or even just something that we're coming up with um, from an editorial leadership team on our own, it really just comes down to how, if even if this story has been told, what is a way that we can tell it differently or come at it from a different perspective? So um, even if, I mean, if you think about the name Cold Tea Collective, um, you think about, let's just take you know, the term cold tea, for example, um, you think about the, the opposite of that, it would be hot tea, you know, um, hot tea is like the hot gossip, what everyone is talking about, cold tea is what people are not talking about, but maybe should be. And so ultimately, um, I think there's a fine balance between um, taking a look at what has been talked about and what is of interest to our audience versus what is a way we can approach the story in a way that um, either goes deeper or as I said, peels back the layers or comes at it from a different uh, perspective. Um, so just with that, I think overall our approach to curating that or uh, reviewing pitches and, or, and approving them and such is, you know, is this something that other others are not covering and can we offer it in perspective? I think with that too, there's also just the very standard, like, you know, does this follow our anti-racist uh, uh, editorial guidelines as well? Um, considering is this uplifting a particular community or a particular experience across the diaspora, or is it going to harm some folks? Um, we recognize that, you know, uh, actually it's been interesting. We've released a few more opinion pieces in the last little bit. And I think even me like in particular, and sometimes um, not to speak for all those of Asian descent, but sometimes we have challenges or concerns about you know, really just kind of, you know, speaking up and really speaking our truth for fear of, you know, maybe we want to save face and maybe we don't want to ruffle any feathers or rock the boat. And so it's been really interesting to get some pitches in, you know, offering a different perspective that, you know, might be a little bit different than the mainstream. Um, so the, at, at the core of it, our stories, um, we just try to find, you know, it's something that's, you know, balanced reporting, um, if it is a reporting kind of thing, or if it's someone's personal story just having clarity in what they're trying to say. What is the message? And is there some sort of a call to action? I think what makes us a little bit different from other media outlets um, that perhaps might be covering the same uh, 
topics or might be reaching the same audience as us is that we really do try to approach things with a more of a solution-based journalism approach and a values-based journalism um, approach as well. And so what we mean by that is, you know, certainly there have been so many instances of, for example, of anti-Asian racism. Of course, it's important to talk about. However, we're not that particular media outlet. We're not a media outlet that will just, you know, report on every single incident and just traumatize, 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 trauma bomb people with that information. If we are to cover something like that, we want to provide a perspective that offers some hope, some support and resources for folks to feel like they can actually do something about it and they're not too far removed from the situation as well. Um, So there's kind of the editorial side of things there and kind of our our values when it comes to storytelling. The other side of your question there, Ted, is um, how do we curate um, when it comes to maybe like assigning a piece? um, Of course, there's, you know, we take SEO into consideration. There's, for of course, the marketing folks listening to this podcast, um, there's SEO. We take a look at... um, what are the, uh, if we take a look at the, uh, uh, the affinity um, and in-market groups for um, traffic on our website, we also take a look at what ki- kind of clients we want to work with as well. Um, and for example, if we wanted to work with like um, a motor vehicle brand, for example, right? Maybe there's, um, maybe there's some editorial content we can do to kind of prime our audience to be able to think about that industry in general um, and as you know, um, as marketers, uh, not everyone's going to be in the market for a car or a particular product at like all the time. And so to create those opportunities for us, and it's definitely like kind of a long-term thinking here, but if we want to work with like an automotive brand, for example, we're going to share stories that, um, might prime that audience and having that frequency or increased exposure, um, for those brands or for that topic in general will help you know, people think about, oh, I saw that cool collective article and that, oh, that reminds me, like, actually, maybe I should look into that brand. And so, I mean, I don't really talk about this too much, but um, kind of more like on the public like arena, but because this is a marketing podcast with marketers listening to it, I figured that might be um, of interest to, to, to the audience as well. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, yeah, as we have marketers listening... I wanted to get your take on when you're speaking with brands and whatnot, what, uh, what surprises you, you know, what is the, mm-hmm. the, the, the shocker when you go and sit down with a particular brand and they want to maybe let's say this motor vehicle company and they go, Oh yeah, we want to work with, uh, you because you, you can connect to a particular demographic. What surprises you? Is it, is there, are there certain things that mm-hmm. you're like, you think it's kind of, should should be known already but uh but some of these markers don't and i think it would be good to to share some of that knowledge yeah i mean um actually i what it, what surprises me is not necessarily about um 
like things that I think they should know, because I think the reason they come to us is because they see us as the experts. Right. And so I think what is surprising to me, but in a really good way is that they really do give us a lot of creative control over the direction and the editorial voice, because a, we're a media outlet. We're not necessarily a creative agency that will just produce assets for them, for them to use in other channels. I mean, certainly they can, that can be part of the, the, the deal that the, the deals that we do, but, um, we're, we want to make sure that all of our content will speak directly to our audience. And so um, the brands that we've spoken with um, or the agencies that represent them have just generally been very open to our guidance and direction. Even if, for example, it's an, a brand, um, just any brand that has like a physical product, a, a consumer pr- packaged good, for example, um, you know, they're very much open to our you know, story ideas that will really authentically integrate their brand or product into the story. Because at the end of the day, um, we're not necessarily doing a service to the audience. If at least the cold collective audience, if we are just constantly shoving like products to buy down their throat, um, you know, or like, like just to their eyes. Um, and if we can tell a compelling story that authentically integrates a brand, that's great. Um, what's interesting to you is that not every brand wants to, um, uh, I would say, be a part of a story. Sometimes they just want to, like, um, you know, this story is sponsored by X, or like we just want to be a part of this uh, column that you have, or this, you know, series of content that you have as well. Um, and and that's totally fine too. I think. Uh, beyond that, though, I think it really depends on the brand's previous level of engagement and investment with AAPI or Asian Canadian audiences. And I think that is actually the difference maker. Um, so I guess with that, too, is you asked me, like, what's something surprising when working with brands? Um, and it, it, I have to say, I, I would say, like, probably about 70% of the time we're actually working with agencies that represent these brands. And so they're kind of like, you know, as an agency owner yourself, you know how that kind of goes. And so we don't always get direct communication with the, the brands themselves. However, um, what's surprising to me is that, but also kind of not really is that Canadian brands, um, even though our population is, I don't, I'm, I apologize. I'm actually really bad with stats, but, um, even though our population, there's there's so like really huge Asian population in Canada, they have not yet or are just starting to recognize that oh I need a separate or a distinct and a very specific multicultural marketing plan or strategy for Asian Canadians or the Asian demographic. For the last I would say maybe maybe like prior to 2020, a lot of brands or consumer brands might have had a very specific strategy for multicultural audiences that are were specifically catered to new immigrants or newly landed Canadians, for example, because that's kind of almost like a blank slate, right? You're coming into a new country where, you know, these brands have the opportunity to be kind of, you know, um, become a household name for these folks and these families. Um, however, it's only in the last few years where, these brands are actually starting to realize, like, oh, we should probably pay attention to perhaps, you know, the Asian Canadians that have been around for a while, maybe second generation, third generation, um, especially when it comes to changes in consumer behavior. That's a really good point. I mean, uh, even even with uh, Ballistic Arts, when we used to do a lot of real estate marketing, it would be mostly to an investor market that is, uh, you know, not necessarily a second, third generation. It's mostly new immigrants. So that's a very valid point. One thing I wanted to to point out, because I think you just were talking about second, third, fourth generations, 
is that there's, and I've interviewed a, a lot of Asian Canadian marketers, professionals, I've mentored a few, and there's always this notion that Asian API, Asian Canadians have this kind of meek sensibility, this kind of more tepid or introverted type of personality. But I, I got to say, like, maybe for myself, I'm a little bit tired about hearing that because I don't feel yeah. necessarily that way. If anyone's <laughs> ever met Ted Lau, it's it's not that. And so, and, and if anyone's ever met my mother or my aunt, it's not like that either. So I'm wondering, is that a narrative that we're kind of feeding into or is it something, and is it something that we can change? Or again, you're, you're the storyteller and you, you hear more of these stories, but in my day to day, Day, I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't say that uh, I'm like that or, or some of the mm. people close to me are like that so what what's your mm. viewpoint yeah that's a good question I mean to answer more more directly and then I, I would love to expand on that as well um, I think we only perpetuate that stereotype when we talk too much about the model minority myth um, I think that that particular stereotype is probably more relevant for folks that maybe are not in the creative or entrepreneurial um, careers uh, or jobs, right, um, or paths. Uh, I think that, and it's not here's a, it's not to devalue that that might be someone's perspective or the way that they approach things or their way of life or the, what they value. That's not, not by any means, but I'm, I'm the same as you, Ted, in that um, I don't think I've ever really been that way. Or if I was like, I've certainly found my voice uh, and I just, maybe I just forgotten that it, that I used to be that way. But I think for certain generations and certain um, vocations uh, and professions, it, it's a means of survival, you know, um, I remember having this conversation with my mom not too long ago. Actually, it was only via text, but um, she worked in you know finance uh, and accounting and and such for a really long time for like corporate um, corporations. Like she would help them go public um, on the finance side of things. And um, I just remember her telling me that you know, especially earlier on in her career, it was very much um, an old boys club and specifically old white men, um, that were around the table and, you know, herself, myself, and I'm sure many others being of, you know, Asian women of smaller stature, it's really hard to, I think in those situations, especially when you're the only one, be that one to raise your voice and say something different than what everyone else is saying. But it's certainly valid uh, to, to do that because, I mean, that's the value that we bring as individuals, regardless of what background we are. Right. So, um, I think that 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 lived experience is certainly true and strong for a lot of people. However, um, some people are okay with it too, right? Um, and and that's as I said, that's been their means of survival. However, I think that we're in a time now where folks like you, Ted, uh, myself, and and others, we've maybe been pushed to our limits or been put put in situations where that is no longer okay or acceptable for us as individuals. Um, and I don't know about your like Myers-Briggs, like, um, like, uh, like, uh, characteristics. Uh, mine is, uh, ENFJ. And I remember just kind of taking that, that test a number of years ago where I was very early on in my career, just working a very corporate marketing role. Like just like, I was very brand new. Um, 
would just be almost just kind of being like told what to do. I was made to kind of feel small and just Mm. like, um, for lack of a better term, just take the heat from the quote unquote client and just do exactly what they say, even if it's against my better judgment as the marketer on marketing issues. And so, um, you know, when I took that test, I think my level of assertiveness on that on the test was maybe about like 40%. But then there was just some things that happened in my career and life. I was just like, no, that just ain't right. So mm-hmm. and then I took that test again a number of years later. And then my level of assertive assertiveness jumped up to 70%. And so I think when the situation calls for when we know better, we do better and we do things and make decisions in line with what we value. And and sometimes it has to come from a place of feeling repressed or suppressed in our autonomy and our decision-making and in our careers. And so um, kind of going back to the original question of, you know, do you think we are like in general uh, perpetuating that kind of stereotype? Um, it, it it's, it's a yes and no. Uh, once again, it is the lived experience of some folks. However, um, I think we need to, move beyond the model minority myth and we need to move beyond whether if especially if you're in a person in a leadership role or if you even if you're like uh, i've sat on so many panels where you know that you know the 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 moderator is just asking about like how has the model minority myth impacted your life and maybe i think for me i just say that it hasn't really because i just don't subscribe to it um i think we need to move beyond the assumption that it does impact people or that they subscribe to that. Um, I think maybe that's the way, like one of the ways we can do it. That's a great question, Ted. Um, it's going to be different for every single person because I don't know where everyone else is at, but that's that's just my personal experience with it. Yeah, I mean, in my experience, I, I mean, up until today, I didn't really know about this model minority thing that you just talked about. I mean, yeah. I think I'm I'm an individual that's probably a little too much got their blinders on type of individual. I mean, I hear a lot of these podcasts with you know asian leaders and 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 talking about how you know tokenism is real and mm. da, 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 da. and mm. i'm like man i grew up i grew up in the 80s with like mostly white kids a filipino kid and an italian kid like it was like I, that was it and i didn't mm. know i guess any better but for a mm. lot of my career i was the only sometimes young minority like non-white individual at a board table uh, in yeah. a leadership capacity and for me, I took it as a great opportunity because you're mm-hmm. for sure going to remember me if I say something. If I open my mouth <laughs> and I say something, you're going to remember. And you know what? I'm going to maybe just roll the dice and, and say a bunch of things. And yeah. I have found that that has really worked in my career because I've mm-hmm. had many leaders come up to me afterwards and kind of help move my career forward because like, you know what? You make a good point here and here and here. Yeah. And it's because my opinion is not diluted. <clears throat> And so I think for those younger folks that are listening, that might be of a particular minority set that, that feel that they can't do A, B, C, or D because of some perceived notion of who they are just based on the color of the skin. I say F it. I'm I'm trying not to swear on this version of the I was trying so hard not to swear at it. Right? Because quite (laughs) frankly, you got one life to live and uh, just go for it. And so... Uh, I, I hope that uh, you get more and more of these these stories where yeah. you've got folks that are swinging for the fences. 
I mean, Ted, if, if I can, if we can kind of um, stay on this topic for a little bit, um, and maybe if I can unpack that a little bit uh, with your own experience, but also for the listeners that may not have heard about the term, the model minority myth. And I, I apologize. Sometimes I just, uh, I'm used to talking like more specifically to Asian Americans, Asian, uh, Asian Canadian audiences. So, um, but I think it's important to, to acknowledge here. So um, the model minority myth is this idea. I mean, that's why it's called a myth, right? This false idea that, you know, folks specifically of Asian descent are, you know, all the same. We're homogenous. Um, and, uh, you know, we, because maybe we see yeah, some Asian Canadians, for example, because um, his marketing was Canada, um, Asian Canadians that have reached a level of success in their careers or like they're you know well off or they drive like fancy cars or whatever um but also at the cost of for example as you said like not necessarily having a voice and just always doing what they're told always kind of following a safe path um that you know it really kind of it's it erases the individuality and the the complex history of those specific communities in the diaspora and and it also devalues the diversity of our own individual experiences and so um i think it's really important uh to you know to like your example is exactly you know same here like i was always like a young female person of color around a board table i did a lot of board work like very early on in my career which was like kind of funny to me but i didn't realize until later that it's like oh i was the token diverse person because I hit all those check boxes, right? Um, and admittedly, when I first started, I was like observing at first, trying to learn like how to talk around the table. But um, what I found also is that like in more recent years, I've left those advisory or board roles because um, I felt like when I did speak up, it wasn't being valued um, or people weren't used to having such direct solutions or communication. Um, it's so strange, like without getting into like too many details here. I mean, I just remember sitting specifically, pardon me, specifically on a diversity committee that would, um, you know, support small businesses and small to medium sized businesses across um, a particular like uh, local area. And I just remember kind of going head to head with um, uh, one of the leaders uh, who was not of the same background as me um, and in a position of power. And they just completely did not, they just completely disregarded my, what I had to say, even though other people backed me up, I was not the first one to say it, uh, to say what I was thinking. It's just that I felt like they were in a position of power so that because I am a little bit younger, I am like a person of smaller stature. I am, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, they made up reasons that they felt like they could overpower me and kind of power trip on me, which was just a very strange situation. And I've also kind of come to learn that, like, you know, there are sometimes it's just you don't need to put yourself in a situation where you are constantly fighting an uphill battle with decision makers that are clearly just not going to um, understand or appreciate your perspective, even though you might have been invited to participate because of your strengths professionally, but also because of who you are as a person and all the different intersectional identities that you that you carry and you live with every day. So, I mean, yeah, it can happen anywhere. Um, and 
And that's why I think, Ted, like I'm sure that the folks that have seen you speak up in those situations, just they've probably been so inspired um, to hear you you do that um, and say that. And I got to say, too, something that you said about your own experience that really stood out to me is that you kind of grew up in a, in a time and a place where your identity as an Asian Canadian was not really something that was on your mind. Um, and it's not like necessarily you were trying to hide some, something, but it's just like it is what it was. And whereas, for example, like me, like I grew up in Richmond, it's an Asian enclave, predominantly, you know, Asian population, right? Um, and specifically East Asian. Um, there's a lot of South, a really massive South Asian population uh, in Richmond as well. But um, it was very, like, I never really felt like a minority in that space. And so, um, me, yeah, like, and that's probably why I didn't really think about my identity as an Asian Canadian, as a Chinese Canadian woman, uh, up until like I kind of got out of that bubble and you realize that, oh, actually, um, this is something that people have challenges with. And I think that maybe even 10 years ago, I remember having this this student come up to me at like this marketing or communications, like student and professionals connecting networking event. And the very specific question she asked me was like, oh, um, gosh, like, is it possible to work in the career you have and like have a family? I'm like, okay, I don't even have a family yet. So I don't really answer that question. <laughs> for you from that perspective but i mean like to your earlier point about like are we perpetuating or are we pushing this narrative of like how challenging it is to be of xyz identities or have xy abc um lived experiences too much that it actually scares people into thinking that this is the way it has to be but mm -hmm. no like we actually need to flip the script we need to change the narrative we need to stand up and speak up and speak our truths whether it be at a boardroom table or whether it be like internally when you're making decisions ted you do videos i do too sometimes right like you know maybe it's like rec making a recommendation to a client like you know th maybe this family that we're or this character in this this video should be of xyz identities because it's, they're underrepresented and you know, it would maybe, you know, this is actually representative of the um, the target audience that you're looking for. And why not? Why does it have to be ethnically specific, for example? I, I know I'm talking a lot about race and ethnicity and, and all mm -hmm. that, but that's just kind of the realm I come from. But I mean, there's so many different ways that we can push for change when it comes to diversity and representation and um, going beyond the model minority myth and showing different representations of who we are as individuals uh, to kind of you know wider society yeah no i i, I hear that I, I i do have to say that when i was growing up it wasn't like my my ethnicity didn't matter i mean it was it stuck out like a sore thumb and like you know the, being the one chinese kid bringing the chinese you know <laughs> leftovers to, to to lunch was a bit of a thing right and i think i just learned to roll with the punches maybe or learned to kind of shake it off and it yeah. At the end of the day, it didn't, I don't think it really mattered to, to what I, I, I want to do. And, and I think mm -hmm. I just kind of just decided, you know what, I'm going to, I think like you say, I, I didn't know that term live, live your truth until a few years ago, but it was really, I'm mm -hmm. going to do my thing. You don't like it. Mm -hmm. F off. If you like it, then great. great. We can, we can hang. And, and the thing that I've done when I sit on various boards is I, I'm quite good at the recruiting side of things. And so, mm -hmm. and actually I'll, I'll, I would have to really put, take my hat off to um, Greg Davignon from the Business Council of BC, who actually when when we started uh, the next Leaders Council at the, the BCBC, it was, uh, you know, there, there was some minority, but it was really, they were looking for younger voice, younger voices. And so we started this group. And my whole thing was, you know, being able to just 
bring on new members. And every member that I brought, I just, I made a point of, of bringing people with a very different point of view. And it could be very different, not just from the current boredom table, but, but from my own points of view. And so what was very helpful was it allowed me to have this kind of rich perspective of the greater economy and, and kind of what the, the, the greater dialogue is out there in, in Canada. And so yeah. I would encourage anybody that's listening here to take that perhaps as a, as a tip on how they can sit around a boardroom table, do marketing, whatever it is. It's just be mm-hmm. curious, see what else is out there, who else is out there. And, and also, like you said, don't have to, you, no one has to, no one told you, you have to follow a particular thing. And if they did, they're lying. Cause they don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> so you just gotta, you just gotta, you know, you do you, right. That's, I think what, yeah. what we say. And so but you know we we can talk about this all day long but I think we're we're running short on time. Uh, mm. I did want to you know ask you a, a couple of marketing type things. You know what do you see yes. on the horizon uh, for marketing, especially with AI <laughs> and you hearing about all the biases that could be mm. perpetuated within because of the authorship of the AI. How do you mm-hmm. see marketing going, especially in your realm? I think there. I mean, I think in my realm, I think it's important that if we do. Uh, use any AI tools that we are really cognizant of, as you said, like the authorship or like the programming around the AI and really ensuring that any inputs or any like prompts and such that we provide are of there are, are, are ethical. Um, and the source information is, you know, of like free of bias, which is, which can be very challenging to find, especially if it's just, you know, sleuthing the internet. Right. And, you know, um, I think with that too, I think it's important that, you know, there's still like AI is meant to be a tool, right. It's not meant to have like, you know, the, the be all, be all end all have the final say they're reviewers, um, and the folks putting together the creative briefs, a uh, project briefs, KPIs and all that. Like we need to make sure that our measures of success are not just, how many impressions we got, how many sales we, you know, got from, from whatever campaign we're working on, uh, with the use of AI, it's making sure that we are not doing harm to, to anyone that could be a potential, uh, a client customer, um, or general public member. Um, I think, you know, I mentioned earlier, um, our anti, um, anti-racist editorial guidelines, like as a marketer or as an agency owner, do you have these guidelines in place? Um, or like it can be anything like when it comes to any content you create, any use of AI, or even like the review t- reviewing team when it comes to, um, you know, t- reviewing the outputs that the like whatever AI tool you're using gives you. Um, are those folks diverse in terms of like all these different um, dimensions of diversity? Uh, I think it still really just comes down to. Um, making sure that what comes in and what comes out are still being reviewed by people who also have the training as well as lived experiences to be able to discern whether an input or output is going to um, be help help you hit the mark and not completely miss it and make sure that no harm is being done to to anyone that might you know come across that whatever asset you're creating from it. Yeah, that is something that we just talked about at Ballistic Arts internally with our team. And, and we do have, as you said, you know, what kind of policies do we have when it comes to, you know, this kind of DEI perspective, right? And so yeah. I think that's a that's a great point of view. And I really hope that uh, a lot of our listeners take that to heart. Now, just uh, we always wrap up our 
podcast with uh, what we call our rapid fire round. And basically, mm-hmm. oh, it's, just gosh. A, it's just a fun kind of lighthearted way of asking a little bit about uh, you and getting to know Natasha sure. a little bit better. So, you know, first thing that comes to mind, just just blurt it out and see what happens. Okay. You ready? Hit me. Cat or dog person? Dog. I have a dog named Boba. Boba. Oh, like very bubble nice. tea. That's yes, what my yes. husband convinced me. He's like, if we get a dog, can we get a dog? Please? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, we'll name him Boba. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Who picks up the boba? Him. Who picks up Boba's boba? Oh, you know what? Uh, no, oh, I do. I'm always the one. I make the decisions on the boba, like the bubble tea that comes to this house. Funny story. Um, we've actually, I actually have accidentally spilled boba, like bubble tea, on the ground, and boba's kind of clean it up before. I'm like, nice. yo, you like bubble tea? That's uh, that's, that's ironic. Yes. But I meant, <laughs> I meant who picks up oh. the boba out of boba. You know the because when oh, you know what I'm talking about because oh like when, when, when we we want to get a dog me and my wife want to get yeah. I'm sorry me and my daughter want to get a dog and we've been begging my wife for a dog for <laughs> years and then yeah. uh, she recently was like I'm not we're not going to get a dog because and she's talking to me and Charlotte our our daughter like, because mm-hmm. I'm going to be end up being the one walking the dog and picking up its poop. And then me and my daughter were looking at each other like, mm, that's probably true. And yeah. that was the end of it. Never going to yeah. get a dog. So, you know what? We're always looking for boba sitters, Ted. Boba like, sitters. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Nice. So uh, you're on my boba list. For boba. Oh, maybe. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you a night owl or early bird? Night owl through and through. What are you streaming music wise right now? Drake. I figured as much. I saw two Always. Drake quotes on your LinkedIn. Were you were you sad last night or are you going tonight? So, okay, funny story. So when the tickets first came out for Drake's concert um, in Vancouver, uh, he's had, he has two uh, concerts in Vancouver um, this year. Uh, I was like, yes, I'm totally going to go. Oh, my gosh, 400 bucks a ticket. No, thank you. Um, that could be going to my kids like like daycare or like, you know, just whatever. Right. Um, and then last night I got a random message from a girl I went to uh, SFU with. Uh, we were in the same Asian student club together. She was like, oh, my gosh, Natasha, my brother is sick. He has COVID. I've got an extra free ticket to Drake. Do you want to go? Like, yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, OK, I'm like walking Boba, my dog, like furiously. And then I get a message like, oh, my gosh, did you see this? it's postponed the dun, show got dun, dun. canceled so i mean i don't know if i'm going to be able to go on the wednesday night which is when it got postponed to because mm. if her brother is feeling better which i do hope he is um like but you uh, secretly hope guess, he's no. still feeling no no I, I mean ted this is being recorded i can't say anything like <laughs> that, say but, anything uh, that no okay uh, but i will say that it's it's usually drake it's, it's drake if i get to choose but mm. It's also like the baby sharks and whatever my son wants to listen to. Oh, right now yeah. he's in a baby shark was, monster that, truck. That was the Ugh. next question I was going to ask. And that, that okay. uh, I was going to say, what what's the song that's driving you nuts right now? Because you have little kids. But okay, that's fine. Baby shark. Baby shark monster truck. Oh, Any man. version of it. What's the last charity you supported financially or with your time and why? Oh, um, indirectly. Um, Forward Foundation um, is an organization that supports uh, youth with uh, that are terminally ill, um, help them to achieve some of their their dreams um, before they they pass. And so, um, indirectly, um, I was um, the Cold Tea Collective was part of this pop up um, by Rare Spirit, which is an apparel company run by. Uh, 
Asian uh, Chinese Canadian actor Curtis Lum and Richard Doramal, a Filipino Canadian um, visual artist, um, and the charity that they were supporting through proceed of uh, partial proceeds from sales um, for which we contributed to as well uh, was Ford Foundation. And so, um, yeah, that's. Um, like monetary wise, um, previously I had done a lot of volunteer work um, with the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, uh, giving my time um, as the um, chair of the Leaders of Tomorrow program, which is a uh, a program for students in their last year of post secondary studies. So supporting their mentorship as well as um, networking and um, skills development opportunities. And uh, they're still going strong. I'm no longer involved, but I think mentorship, you know, is going back to what we were talking about earlier. It's just so important. And to be able to see different, um, I guess, depictions of what success or leadership looks like. I got to, if I have a very brief moment here, I have to say specifically, I used to feel very nervous in those really corporate type of events. I'm like, oh, I have to wear a full blazer, or like suit, a pantsuit and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, especially when I was in a leadership position, all the things I was talking about, every single talk I had, had a Drake quote in it, um, as well as I would wear something that I was comfortable and confident in, which was typically a leather jacket. I might have still been wearing dress pants and heels, but I was wearing a leather jacket just to show to these students that it's just like, you need to be yourself in the workplace. Um, if it's, you know, quote unquote, safe to say, safe to do so, right? But um, I just spent so much of my earlier corporate career hiding that away. Um, so I just wanted to demonstrate that um, through showing my personality. Plus you stand out a little bit. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> I commented recently that I, I keep wearing shorts to business events. I, uh, it's since summer. COVID, well, since COVID, I basically haven't really worn, uh, well, this is Canadian uh, show, so I can say pants. Cause if we have UK people, I can't say pants, but I don't, I really wear long pants anymore. I just kind of wear shorts. Oh my I'm gosh. Shorts right now. So it's a thing. <laughs> Uh, okay. What's the best thing you bought under 20 bucks? Best thing I bought under 20 bucks. Do I have to get up to the 20 bucks? Like, nope. fulfill, fulfill, it could be a oh. buck if you want to. Yeah. Oh, oh my under gosh. 20. Best under 20 bucks. Is anything under 20 bucks these days? Um, oh my gosh. I don't even know. Like, it's probably food, but I mean, like, it doesn't really have, it's, the utility is like it kind of goes away after you digest it um best thing under 20 bucks oh my goodness still can be a best thing yeah um boba maybe yeah i mean bubble tea is always like a a great a great option um under 20 bucks i mean event an event ticket probably right like there's so many like wonderful events and local artists um like that are doing wonderful things in the community, uh, under 20 bucks. Um, it can help you experience something new in a new environment. I've spent a lot of time in Vancouver's Chinatown recently. Um, they're doing some really wonderful work in a number of different organizations there. And, um, yeah, uh, tickets are under 20 bucks, go have an experience. So it's not necessarily, um, a product or a physical thing. Cause I think I only really buy those at utility now, but I'm really more about having experiences, especially if I can bring my son along um, to experience something new as well. And he ends up talking about it for weeks afterwards, so it's pretty awesome. Which is great. Okay, yes. well, on that note, I will leave you to go and have fun with your son and Boba and whatnot, and we should probably end it <laughs> there. Uh, where can we find you? Let's, let's do a little plug before we go. For more stories for, by, and about the next generation of the Asian diaspora, 
go to coldteacollective.com or visit us on social media at Cold Tea Collective. Um, you can also find us on LinkedIn. Um, myself personally, I'm at Natasha Jung on um, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I don't really use many other channels because I don't really have time. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're producing new stories publishing new stories all the time. And um, if you have any pitches for stories as well, um, I love hearing about Asian Canadian owned businesses and what we can do to support them um, in a way that will help them connect with audiences in a really authentic way. Please just feel free to hit me up um, as marketers I, for this audience specifically. I'm more than happy to share my personal, like my contact email actually, if that's safe to do so on this podcast. So it's Natasha and A-T-A-S-H-A at coldteacollective.com cold as in like birds cold out here t-t-e-a collective.com well excellent well everybody be sure to check out the latest uh, stories on coldteacollective.com and uh, we're going to sign off here I'm Ted Lau this is Natasha Jung and you've just listened to another great episode of Marketing News Canada thanks everybody have a great day bye thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.